Good morning. Let's stand all over the house this morning. And let's sing together an old hymn of the church, Our Lord's Return to Earth Again. Let's worship the Lord this morning. for prayer this morning. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, Lord, we just love you and we glorify your name. We magnify your name. And Lord, we just know that, God, we're in your house and we're gathered in your name to worship you today. 
Father, we know there are some today that are not here for various reasons. Lord, some are sick, some are traveling. Lord, some are, uh, Lord, homebound today. But God, we're here, so we have a right to give you praise today. So, Father, today I pray that you would bless this offering we're about to receive. Bless the gift and the giver. I pray you would bless those that have to give and those that may not. And if there's someone here today who cannot give, Lord, I pray that at some point in time you would bless them so they could give back to you and show their love and appreciation to you. And every song that is sung, note that is played, message that is given, let it be for the glory and the advancement of the kingdom. In Christ's name we pray and ask of the people of God together said amen. amen. And will you bring your tithes and offerings during our meet and greet at this time. God bless you. of service today. Uh, just a couple uh, things I want to make mention to you or let you know of. Um, uh, don't forget to sign your kids out, as always, in Children's Church today. Um, if you uh, have children, uh, we would love for them to be signed out uh, and be uh, taken home when they leave here today. Uh, we have split our children's ministry classes, so uh, those watching online and those in the house, uh, Miss Glenda and Miss Jeannie have the older kids, and Sister Sandy and Brianna have the kids in the back. So on Sundays, uh, your kids that are three to six-year-olds will be behind me, right directly behind the stage here uh, in the fellowship hall. There's a classroom in there that they, we use for the little people, and then the older kids out back. Also, uh, we're still collecting information for those that want to become part of the church family. We know a couple of you have expressed interest 
Uh, we want to make sure we let you know that. If you're interested in serving on the pastor's council, please fill out the questionnaires and turn those in. Also, the ladies and the men's questionnaires are out there as well. If you'll fill those out and let us know as well. Don't forget on Wednesday mornings we have prayer meeting uh, here at the church where we just bring the request before the Lord. Uh, and uh, as always, all of our information can be found online uh, on our website, things like that. For all those joining us in-house or online, we welcome them to church today as well. I do have a couple requests uh, that I want to uh, bring uh, to our attention today. We have uh, quite a few folks that are out sick, uh, battling some different things. It's good to see Sister Nell back after her surgery, and she is uh, doing well. Uh, but uh, Jordy's got an aunt that's got some things going on in her body, and uh, we, we have got a positive reports on that. More than we thought, that, that we look pretty, pretty uh, doom and gloom. But we think that, that uh, based on some new intel, that the Lord has actually already begun to work. And uh, we think that through surgery, it can be taken care of, and there won't be any chemo radiation or any follow-up. It'll just be a surgical procedure to take care of that. And we're believing God that that's all there is uh, for that situation. But uh, we also uh, want to continue to pray for uh, Sister Vanessa and Sister uh, April, who are dealing with... Um, with pregnancy uh, and, and just things that are going on with that. But uh, we celebrate, but we also want to pray for, uh, many of you uh, know Sister Jane Alford. Uh, most of you either are connected to her via family or you have known her many, many years. This is Sister Laura Mae Skipper. Uh, all of them were interconnected. Uh, Sister Jane went home to be with the Lord this morning and uh, last night around, I think, 1030 last night, but uh, the family uh, did not want to wake people up. But she has went on to her eternal resting place in the Lord. I know she's having a wonderful time reunited with Sister Skipper and, uh, and her family. I know she has fought the good fight. She kept the faith, and uh, she, uh, she is now celebrating with the Lord. But her uh, homegoing services will uh, be uh, probably sometime this week once they make all those arrangements. Continue to pray uh, for... Um, Sister Jacqueline Pugh, some of you know her from the, her time serving at the St. Stephen Church of God at Christian Outreach. Her father passed away. His homegoing service is this afternoon. Uh, and uh, also, uh, there's a, a lady that uh, was a part of our church in Orangeburg uh, that uh, passed away uh, on Friday. And uh, her homegoing services are on Tuesday this week. And so there's a lot of people that are, are facing some, some sad times. And, but, uh, but we also celebrate because... To our knowledge, uh, most of those folks knew Jesus, and so we're just celebrating there with the Lord today. But we want to make sure that we pray for them as well. Uh, at this time, I'm going to ask those leading scripture and prayer to make their way, and then uh, they will immediately follow that. Brother Jimmy is coming today to lead us in our special song. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I say it all the time, but it's good to be in God's house. I really feel that. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 12. I'm only going to read 3. Finally be you of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but controversy blessings. Knowing that you are therefore called, that you should inherit a blessing. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Um, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Um, remember all these needs. Um, but in this prayer, I want to invite God's presence um, in worship and praise and give him honor. Let us pray. Father, again, we're so thankful. 
Thankful, Lord. Privileged as children of God, Lord, to be in your house. Father, we're thankful for the church. We're thankful for the, for the people. We thank for those, Lord, that are in charge, that, that are called by your name, Lord. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless and touch this service. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that it give you honor and, and give you all glory. And, and Lord, we just ask that you would just have your way. Again, Lord, we're thankful always for your presence. Lord, be with us today. Father, I pray that you touch every heart, every mind. And Lord, again, we'll be careful to thank you and praise you. Amen. Amen. Will you worship with Brother Jimmy at this time as he comes to lead us in a song? There's a homecoming coming soon. Some of us will leave before others, and that's all right. Unless the Lord decides to catch us away today, some of them are going to go by the grave. But regardless of whether you go by the grave or you're standing here when the Lord comes, there's a place prepared for us. That place is Beulah Land. Worship with me today.
Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's continue to worship the Lord. We're going to sing a song that just says, Glory, glory, God is able. So let's worship the Lord.
together today. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. I raise a
just love you. We glorify your name today. We magnify you, God, today. We feel your presence in this house today, Lord. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Every note that has been played, every song that has been sung, every scripture that has been read. God, every instrument that has been played, let it be for the glory and the edification of the kingdom of God. Father, there are people today that wish they could be in this house. They're not here, but we are here, gathered in your name. So let us come boldly before the Lord and worship you and magnify and glorify the name above every name. There is no name like the name of Jesus. We speak Jesus. Jesus changes the situation. Jesus changes the circumstance. Jesus brings about healing. Jesus brings about restitution and reconciliation. It's all by the name of Jesus that men must be saved under heaven and earth. There's still power in the name of Jesus. There's power in your name. Lord, we love you. We glorify you. Father, as we get ready to segue to break the bread of life today, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Let us hear from heaven. God, let it not be my words that is spoken, but your word that is heard. God, I pray today that somebody in this house, whether it's in this house or online, the message today, would speak to their hearts. May he challenge them, may he chastise them, may he change them under the power of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to grab them and go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me just say we're continuing our mission and vision, if you will, of the church here of reach, disciple, pray, one person, family, and community at a time. That's our goal. We want to reach the world for Jesus Christ and tell them about Jesus I failed to mention, let me also mention, I forgot to do that, but but uh, Brett and Vanessa Sawyer, along with Kristen and uh, Corey Sawyer, uh, the reason they're not here today, they were exposed to COVID. All of them are negative, and they're, they're testing, but uh, they were exposed to it, and they didn't want to take any chances. They didn't know if the tests were false positives or false negatives. They weren't really sure. They, didn't, they, they just didn't want to take a chance, so they are watching online today, but they were are not here just because of that, and they didn't want any other children or folks to be potentially exposed or if they were asymptomatic so they decided to be safe than sorry so that's where they are today but they are all doing well they're, they're, none of them seem to be sick so we thank the Lord for that even though they were exposed to that Colossians chapter 3 we're going to begin reading in verse number 18 or actually verse number 17 I'm sorry whatever you do in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting unto the Lord. But husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We're covering the whole family, the Christian home. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We even are going to go down to the servants, bond servants. The servants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God, or integrity, if you will. And whatever you do, the Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae, no matter what you do, man, woman, boy or girl, husband, wife, children, servant, 
Whatever you do, you do it with all your heart. As unto the Lord, not unto men. Why? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done too. For with God there is no partiality. For the next few weeks, I'm going to go on a journey with you in a series called The Inheritance. Can I tell you, for the child of God, we have an inheritance waiting us. But for the people that are not children of God, they don't get benefits of the inheritance. In fact, for people that are not children of God, this is what Paul told the church of Colossae. For those who do wrong will be repaid for what they've done, for God doesn't show partiality. I just want to start out today before we pray, sin does not go to heaven. It just doesn't. There's not one person in heaven that got there because they still were a sinner. They got there because they were redeemed from their sin. God, there is no partiality. So we're going to go on a journey for the next few weeks on the idea of the inheritance. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, I pray you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary and anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare what thus saith the word of the Lord. I pray today, God, you would take a coal from the altars of heaven and anoint these lips of clay that I may speak only your word and not my words. I pray, God, you would not only let us be hearers of the word, but doers of it there likewise. Keep us safe in this house today and bless us and those that are not here, touch them as well. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see the passing of what we call inheritance. Abraham passed an inheritance to Ishmael, or the father of the Arab people. Abraham passed an inheritance to Isaac, the promised child. Isaac gave an inheritance to Jacob and Esau. Jacob on his deathbed gave an inheritance to the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Throughout the Bible, we see the transferring. We, we, in biblical terms, we call it the passing of the birthright. But what in reality it is, it is the inheritance of the father. What the father is doing is passing on to his firstborn and says, I'm going to give your brothers and sisters something, but to the firstborn, you're going to be in charge of the estate. You're in charge of everything. You get the house. You get the car, you're the executor of the will, you're the, you're the one that's going to be over the estate, you're, you're going to go to probate over it, you're the one that's going to make sure that the will is taken care of and, and, and follow the letter of the law, if you will, for your siblings. It was a passing of inheritance. The Apostle Paul told the church at Rome, in Romans 8, 16 through 17, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we become heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ so that, we suffer, so that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified in him. What the apostle Paul was saying is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance of heaven. We are heirs and joint heirs of the estate of heaven. All those who have been born again are considered heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Paul told the church at Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which God has called you, the riches of his glorious 
inheritance of the saints. He uses that word inheritance. In those passages of scripture, along with the passage we read today, the Greek word kleronemeo literally means the passing on of an inheritance. That word inheritance means to possess an heir. It means that there's someone that is going to get transferred the, if you will, rewards or the benefits of the estate handed down to them. The Oxford Dictionary defines an heir as a person who is entitled by law to succeed another one in the enjoyment of property or the rank of a family hierarchy at the death of the latter. It is the coming into or the taking possession of property, estate, which passes by law to an heir from the deceased or possessor. In essence, we have been given heirship because Christ died. Had Jesus not died, we don't get the benefits of the will or the executive or executor of the estate. He rose from the dead and he lives to make intercession for us. Those who have become heirs with Christ must do so by dying to self and be resurrected to new life in Christ. They have a right to the will of God. They have a right to inherit to all the things that God has stated. So today for a few moments I want to talk to you on the idea of this thought process. Tupperware turmoil and meat fork mayhem. Because what happens is when if you've ever had an executor of the will, you may have had or have ever been, if you've had a grandmother like mine, or maybe it might have been your mother, when it came time for grandma to pass from this life to the next, and all the siblings gathered together, most of the siblings didn't care about grandmama's clothes because they were outdated. They didn't argue because most of the time grandma didn't wear Talbots. She wore something from Hamrick. Some of y'all know where I'm going here. And that's good preaching if you aren't with me today. And some of y'all really know. Some of y'all may still shop at Hamrick's even though we don't have one around here. It used to be down there on Dorchester Road. But, but, but the reality of it is I never met that anybody, I never met sons or daughters to walk into mama's closet or daddy's closet and go, you know what, I think I want to wear the 1922 blue suede shoe jacket that my daddy had. No, no, they, they kind of send that to Goodwill. Or if you're like my family, you take it to Change Lives Ministries and hope you going, excuse me, if you're the men, you start going to the gun cabinet. Y'all don't care about the jewelry. You want the 12 gauge, the 20 gauge, the old pistol, the revolver. You know where I'm going. But it seems like everybody comes together for a sacred moment when it comes time to clean the kitchen. 
somehow, for some reason, everybody comes in the room and decides that when we're going to clean out the cabinets, everybody, half of them don't care about the guns, half of them don't care about the other stuff. What they do care about is meat forks. We have batteries, praise the Lord. If you'll just stick them right in there for me. This is what armor bears are all about. Just just plug me up. Give me some juice. This is better than a five shot of energy drinks right here. While we're good, let's try it again. So what happens is, let's see if we got power. Let's try this again. See, see if there we go. All right, what happens is, more often than not, we start going and going, well, you know, great-grandmama used to serve Thanksgiving dinner. She had a special meat fork she only used for special time. Nobody could eat off the special plates except Thanksgiving. And we start fussing over Grandmama's meat fork. Well, I want Grandmama's meat fork. Well, what makes you think you get her meat fork? Well, because she's only got one. and I'm the oldest daughter. Or I'm the oldest son. Well, yeah, but, you know, when it... So then we travel down the line. We don't argue about diamond rings. We start arguing about Tupperware. They just don't make them like they used to. The Walmart version ain't the same as the authentic Tupperware. Some of y'all probably still got some of these. In fact, if you really want to know the truth, these are my parents. So they, some folks still have these things, all right? I couldn't find any in my cabinet, so I called them. I figured they could find some. We start arguing about bowls from Tupperware. We start finding multiple colors of Tupperware that are hideous to look upon, but... By golly, we want that Tupperware. But the reality of it is, ain't nothing like a good salt and pepper shaker. My, 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 how times have changed. We've went from Betty Boop to olive oil to plastic. I mean, we have done every salt and pepper shaker known to man. And I remember as a kid, my grandmother still, to the day she died, used these salt and peppers. It's so bad that the paint has faded off. You can't read the S and the P on the salt and pepper shaker anymore. But you would be shocked. The only reason I know is because the pepper stained and the salt stained the lids. That's the only way I could keep up with it. But the reality of it is, you would be shocked when it comes time to go over the inheritance or the the diversification of the will. You know, grandmamas and granddaddies don't normally... Write Tupperware in the will. They might say to Johnny, I want him to get my 12-gauge. To Billy, I want him to get my 380. To Sally, I want her to get my engagement ring. To Julie, I want her to get my wedding ring. But I hardly have ever found anybody's will that says, the cereal Tupperware bowl goes to Janet. The orange Tupperware bowl goes to Billy. The salt and pepper shaker, the salt goes to Jim and the pepper goes to Aaron. You don't see where that's outlined in the will. But yet, because it's not outlined in the will, oftentimes it becomes the most contentious thing about the will. Because it wasn't outlined. In the Bible, we had, I had shared with you today that Jesus has given us the right to an inheritance. The one thing I do love about the inheritance of Christ is that the Bible has given us the ability to read over 
the will of God. The W-I-L-L, the will of God. And also, it tells us that Jesus, because of his death, has become the executor of the will. He's the only one able to break the seals. He's the only one to unfurl the pages. And the good thing about it is the executor of the will has already told us that we have something in the will. The executor of the will has already told us when the day comes, there's something in the estate of heaven for us too. He didn't leave us out of the will. He didn't keep us out of the family. He, he wrote our name down in glory. And in that Lamb's book of life, when he did that, he put us in the will. When I was a child, my family, we were always big in the church. And, and I don't remember how old I was, but I got this wild hair idea to ask about my parents' will at one time. And I was asking them, I said, well, I'm the only child, and so how does this work? And they were like, well, you'll have your Aunt Wanda, your Uncle Bill, that'll help you if something should happen, and they're over you until you turn X number of age, and, and then things will trickle down and all this kinds of stuff. And I guess I got so fixated and worried about it. One day, my dad thought it would be a great idea to tell me that, son, don't, you don't know what you're worried about. We have already wrote out our will, and everything's going to world missions. When we die, you're broke. And somehow that did not... Did that not make me feel so good? Well, that was that was comical, and I kept saying, yeah, right, okay, Dad, you're okay, right. Well, you know, I really didn't believe it, but things changed. I had Micah. And then his joke became is, we decided World Missions didn't need it, so we left it all to Micah. That part's believable. That part I'm a little concerned about. I'm not concerned about the World Missions, but I am concerned about Micah's a multimillionaire, and I'm broke, you know. You know, I, I, I am concerned about that. But the reality of it is, there are these things. Being an heir can be a wonderful thing. One man was asked how he became a millionaire and how he amassed so much money. He said, well, I've worked hard. I have had perseverance. I have had careful saving and frugal living. I started out with $5,000 in my savings account, but my uncle died and left me $995,000. And when I put that with my $5,000, I became a millionaire. You should have rich family members. And that's true. He didn't earn it. He was given it. Can I tell you, we can't earn salvation. We were given it. We can't earn heaven. We were given it. We can't earn. The Bible says that we're not saved through works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do to get it. It was given to us because of our relationship with the executor of the estate. The man who had $5,000 would have been a millionaire had he not been a familial connection to the $995,000 uncle. Can I tell you, I'm not going to be able to live on streets of gold and walk by Jasper walls and live in mansions galore if I'm not connected to a familial connection to the Son of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm telling you today, our connection with Jesus Christ is the only reason we have access to the estate of heaven. In fact, I remember a story of a man when he turned 18, decided he was going to leave home. He decided he was going to go his own way. He jumped on a train and he left. And for over a year, he went throughout the region and he begged for money as a drunk someone who was severely, if you will, down on his luck. 
He got off the train one day and he was walking through and he saw an older gentleman, the back of an older gentleman, and he thought, well, maybe if I approach him, he'll give me a little bit of money. So he tapped the man on the shoulder and he said, Mister, do you have a dime you could spare me? The older man turned around and immediately the man that had just asked for the dime fell apart because he was looking at the aging face of his own father. He looked at him and said, do you know who I am? Without missing a beat, the older man with furrowed brows and wrinkled face started to have tears run down his face and he embraced his son. He said, my son, I found you at last. I have been looking for you for the last year. All I have belongs to you. The man went on to say in his testimony, I was a beggar begging for 10 cents from a man that I didn't know had left me everything he owned. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? We didn't know who Jesus was, but Jesus knew who we were. And he said, just like that father, I've been looking for you. I've been searching. When we were a sinner out there living in our old sinful ways, when we came to an altar, we came to the recognition of Jesus, Jesus threw his arms around us and said, I've been looking for you. What you're begging for, you don't have to beg for anymore. All I have is yours. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I'm looking for you. And he gave us everything. Sometimes it's not so much about the quantity of the item that's important as much as it is the quality of the item. I'm going to tell you right now. If I were to be an executor of a will of somebody and they left 500 pieces of Tupperware bowls, I probably will not be disappointed if somebody else gets it. I would let that go. If somebody has a five-carat diamond ring, you can have the 500 pieces of Tupperware. I'll give you all 500 of them. Just let me have the ring. Why? Because it's not so much about the quantity of the items as much as it is the quality of the item. See, the reality of it is I can't bring nothing to Jesus because i got nothing to offer him. But he's got everything to offer me. It's not so much about the quantity, but the quality. The devil can give you the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus can give you something that's more valuable than the kingdoms of this world. And so how do you get this? So quickly, I want to just point out to you, the first thing about it is, is there is a, a requirement. Notice how the section begins in Colossians. Apostle Paul starts out talking about the marriage covenant. Wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Then he transcends to the next one. He goes to the children and then to the servants. Paul didn't leave anyone out. Now, we read at the end he talks about the inheritance, but he talked about wives, husbands, children, bond servants. What Paul was trying to get across is everybody can have a part in this inheritance if they know Jesus. God doesn't leave anyone out unless they choose to be left out. The servants are listening. Galatians 5 and 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serve humbly in love. Matthew 20, 27 and 28. 
Whoever wants to be first must become a servant, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Even the lowest of the lows have access to things of heaven. Jesus said, the first shall be last, the last shall be the first. Jesus took on the form of a servant by washing his disciples' feet, even though it really should have been their responsibility to wash his feet. The reality of it is the, the requirement, you, you cannot reap the benefits of the will if you're not meeting the qualifications, if you will, or the requirements of the will. I can't walk in. If Sally Mae Jones passes away and I'm not connected to her family, I have no rights to walk in when they probate the will and ask for my part of the state because I have no claim to that state. I have nothing, I have nothing invested. I have no rights. I can go in there all day and say, well, I think I deserve something. But I'm not connected enough. I'm not qualified. I don't meet the requirements to do that. Can I tell you it's the same way with the estate of God? There's some requirements. The first requirement is really the most simplistic and yet the most important one. You've got to be a part of his family. You can't have access to the things of heaven and not be a part of his family. That's not how that works. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have him forgive you of your sins. You have to make him Lord and Savior of your life. You can't ask for God's eternal estate of blessings if you're not willing to become families. To be the family of God. Requirements are not suggestions. They're commands. Oftentimes they have prearranged conditions attached to them. Well, didn't Jesus do that? Jesus said that. If any man comes to the Father... He must come through me. That's a, that's a precondition. That's prearranged. Jesus said, according to using the words of the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul said, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Then you'll be saved. Not just believe and confess anything. You've got to believe and confess Jesus is the only way. That's the condition. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way the truth and the life Jesus made it very clear there are some conditions that have to be met you can pray to anybody you want to but if it ain't through Jesus the conditions aren't met that's not the requirement when you look for safety bonuses at an employee a place of employment raises grades promotions often all of those are attached to some kind of performance review or requirements that have to be met Romans 3 23 tells us we all were sinners Romans 6 and 23 tells us we all deserve death. Romans 5 and 8 tells us that the love of God was demonstrated to us, that while we still were yet in sin, Christ went ahead and took care of it for us. Titus 3, 4 and 7 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured on us generously, through Jesus Christ, having been justified by His grace, that we may be heirs of the hope of eternal life. What the, what the Titus was saying in his writings was this. Jesus did it, not because of us, but because of Him. He did it because He was merciful and He was gracious. But another thing about a will is there's a level of responsibility. Just because your name's in the will doesn't mean that you don't have a part to play. See, if you don't go collect your estate, your name might be in it, 
you don't go to grandmama's house and you lay claim on your Tupperware and your meat for it, don't you worry. Your first cousin will. Come on. Some of y'all obviously ain't never had to deal with family in the States. Y'all must have saved people in y'all's family. I don't have all saved people in my family. Some of mine are still working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They're working on it. Brother Dennis has family like that. So me and him are in it together. I praise the Lord for him. If you don't go by when grandmama said, hey, you better take that Tupperware bowl because if you don't, you know Jimmy's going to want it. And you go, well, you know, I, Jimmy wouldn't be like that. She wouldn't care. You're going to go about six weeks later and you know what's going to happen? Jimmy done stole your Tupperware bowl and then you're going to say, well, hey, do you know where mama's Tupperware bowl or grandmama's Tupperware bowl? I, you know what Jimmy's going to say? You know, I hadn't seen it. Last time I saw it, it was on the counter. Yeah, me too, except the counter ate it up somewhere. It was like Korah and the Dothan. The earth opened up and the counter swallowed up Grandma's Tupperware bowl. I hadn't seen it. Until you have the next family reunion, you notice that bowl sitting on there with potato style. And you realize, how did Grandma's bowl come from your house? Oh, well, I, I was just cleaning out and I noticed I found it. Really? It just showed up at your house accidentally? My point in saying is if you don't claim your estate, what belongs to you, don't worry, somebody else will. If you don't follow the way Jesus, if you will, outline the responsibility you have to be the, the uh, heirs of the estate of heaven, don't worry, the devil will take your portion from you if you let him. He'll rob you of your estate. He'll rob you of your joy. He'll rob you of your peace. He'll rob you of your eternal blessings by making you live in sin if you don't follow your level of responsibility. Jesus already paid the price on Calvary. The problem is it's your responsibility to do follow the rest of the steps. Jesus did his part. He's dead. He was buried. He resurrected. The question is, now what are you going to do with it? Are you going to accept it? But to accept it, you've got to humble yourselves and pray. You've got to confess with your heart and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord. You have a level of responsibility in the story. And if you choose not to, guess what? The devil will be glad to keep you from it. He'll take your joy. He'll take your peace. He'll take your happiness. He'll take your health. He'll take your prosperity. He'll take it. If you give it to him, he'll take it. I've been in situations, or have heard of situations, I won't say been, but heard of situations where grandmamas and mamas and daddies said, hey, you know, take that fork, I ain't going to need it, I'm not going to need it anymore, you take it. And so and so say, I'll get it later, and they never got it. It was gone by the next time they came around. Somebody already took that one out of the house. She couldn't prove it. See, I'm going to be blunt here for a second. We'll pick up part two next week of this same message. I'm going to be blunt here for a second, and I hope you will. They always say you ask, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission, so I'm just going to do it, and then I'll say I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. I'm going to say it, but I'm sorry. It's not my responsibility to tell your children how to live. It's not my job to save your kids. It's not my job to save you. It's not my job to save your grandchildren. It's not my job to make sure they come to church. Now, I try my best to call people, and we missed you at church. But God, nowhere in Scripture that says, Pastor, every time somebody misses church, beg them to come back. That's not in the Bible. The Bible said, you are not to forsake the assemblings of yourselves, 
together. It doesn't say, hey, pastor, beg them to come back. It says you shouldn't do it. You don't find in the, the caveat behind it goes, but if you miss, the pastor's going to beg you to come back for three weeks. That's not, that's not in the Bible. That's why we do that because we love and we care about you. That's not required. It's not our responsibility. See, what I, I have come to, to realize and to learn, if you remember back what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 and 18 and following, he said, wives, submit to your husbands, you know, work alongside of them. Husbands, love your wives, like Christ loved the church, and so on. But then he makes a clarion call, and I know it's not Father's Day, but he made a, 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 a if you will, a, a clarion call to the fathers by saying specifically to fathers, fathers, you need to be paying attention. Don't provoke your children. You need to step up to the plate. He called the fathers out. He just not only had wives and husbands and children and servants, he specifically addressed fathers. I read it to you. He, he addressed the fathers. Listen, I'm, it's not my job to teach your children about Jesus. It's your job. It's not my job to save Johnny. It's your job to live Jesus in front of Johnny. It's not my job to be the only time Johnny hears the Bible read. It's your job to read it with Johnny before he comes to church. I'm not saying Johnny won't give his heart to Jesus Christ at church, but he should be seeing Jesus at home before he got to church too. Little Johnny should see Daddy praying, not waiting for the preacher to pray. Little Johnny should see Daddy reading his word before the preacher reads the word. Little Johnny should be seeing Daddy doing things that are, if you will, advancing the kingdom of God and doing the right things than waiting for the preacher to do it. And that's not just for the kids. That can be for the grandkids or whoever. But the reality of the word, the reality of the situation is this. Fathers have forsaken their responsibility. And so what's happened is it's passed down to the ladies. Now, ladies, I'm not upset when I say this, so please understand. Thank God for some of you that have stepped up to the plate and been the priest, prophet, protector, and provider of your home and the spiritual emphasis of your home. The reality of it is you were not called to do that first. Your husband was, and he's failing at his job. Now, I'm not saying that you can't play that part. What I'm saying is we're living in a society now where we've taken the man out of the equation, and that's why we're raising up men who think they're women. I'm on Facebook they censor that stuff but the reality of it is the reason Johnny thinks he's Johnny with an IE instead of with a Y is because he's sissified because we tell him it's okay to be a woman and not be the man God called him to be and the reality of it is the reason Johnny with the IE is not Johnny with the Y is because daddy in the home didn't have pants and wearing the pants of heaven said, you're not going to be that way. For as me, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because daddy was more worried about being Johnny's friend, going to Johnny's ball games, going to Johnny's homecoming parades, trying to make Johnny just walk in what he's just... Just let him feel, and whatever he feels like he wants to be, whatever he wants to become, let him become. And so what we did is we raised up a, a, a generation, if you were, of spiritual sissies, because what we've done is we've let Johnny become whatever Johnny wants to be, but that's not who God called Johnny to be. We have forsaken our responsibilities. And then what happens is we come to church, and we come to the altar, and we come to the pastor's office. We come to counseling. And we go, Pastor, I don't know why Johnny is gay. I don't know why Johnny is dressing like a woman. I don't know why Johnny is doing this, this, and this. 
And I never say it to people because I never would want to be crude, crass, or hurtful. But sometimes I want to go, how many times did you bring Johnny to church? Oh, we didn't. We always were at the ball field or we were at the volleyball court or we were in the deer stand. We were always somewhere else but church. So Johnny didn't even know who he was called to be because the Bible said we were called, we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of Christ. But Johnny doesn't know who Christ is because Johnny never met him. Because everything else Johnny met but Jesus. And then what happened is, I want to ask, I don't, but I want to ask, how many times did you pray at night over Johnny when he went to bed? I never did. How many times did you do the devotions with Johnny and lay down beside him or read the Bible with him or make Johnny read the children's Bible with you? I never did. See, the reality of it is a lot of times I can tell you why Johnny became that way. Because we created Johnny that way. But then we want to drop heaven to come down and drop a bed sheet from heaven and the preacher to fix it. It's not the pastor's responsibility to fix your lack of responsibility in the home. The reality of it is Johnny needs to see you pray. Johnny needs to see you read the word. Johnny needs to see you fast. Johnny needs to see you know how to get a hold to God. When Johnny's sick, Johnny doesn't need to say, well, we better call the preacher. We don't know what to do. Johnny needs to know you can call on God. Johnny needs to know that when it comes Sunday morning and all his buddies are going to play at the rec center, they're going to play volleyball or basketball or football or baseball or, or Johnny's friends are going to do something out of town or they're going to go hunting or they're going to do whatever, that Johnny needs to know you can win on Saturday, but on Sunday you're going to church because you live in this house. You could have done it all day on Saturday. You can do it on Friday, but on Sunday, as for me and my house, we're going to church. Now, you don't like those rules. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Because the reality of the fact is we want to be friends with our children and not teach our children. The Bible talks about inheritance. Miss Carol, you make your way. The Bible talks about an inheritance, and you're going to learn next week some of what the inheritance was. But if we're not careful, we're going to pass down not only physically, but spiritually, we're going to pass down a contaminated inheritance to our children and our grandchildren because of the way we live our lives before them. We're going to give them nothing to hold on to when we die. When we die, they're not going to know. They're not even going to know what your Bible looks like. What a sad reality that if I died today, and Michael went into my office and he picked up the eight or seven or eight different Bibles that I own. What a sad reality to saying it would be if he opened it up and none of them had a highlighted mark in them, didn't have a note in them didn't have a circled passage in it what a sad reality if Michael went in there and found my Bibles and he looked and it looked like brother Jimmy it still was in the box and never had been touched out of the box what a sad reality that would be for that child See, I can't speak for you but I want Michael to find my ones where the pages are folded over duct taped together the binding brother James has fallen apart I've had to super glue it 12 times I've had to highlight it 14 times. I've used three different color markers because I'm writing three different things about the same passage. I want it to be, he has to go find a theologian to understand how much notes I've took in that Bible. Because you know what it's going to tell him? That I've been in that Bible. I've read that Bible. I've studied that Bible. Now, you might see one of my preaching Bibles I use on Sunday morning, flip through and say, well, I don't see very many highlighted notes in there, but that's not my personal Bible. I use that for church. You let me, you let, you go find one of my, and I don't think, I think it's at a home right now. It might be in my office. I can't with me all the time. You let me go find my NASB Bible that is brown. You're going to see that it is literally 
flaking off. In fact, Michael, not too long ago, saw it and said, Dad, well, that's, that's my Bible. And he said, what did you do to it? It looks rough. You know what my response was? Michael, Daddy uses this one. You may not remember it, but when he's 18, 19 years old, God takes me home, or he's 30 or 40 years old, and he goes to my house, and he starts looking for the stuff with his future brothers and sisters, and they come across this dilapidated, old-looking shell of a Bible. I hope he says, hey, guys, hey, guys, I know that Bible. That's the one my daddy's been using. So I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm done. The reason I say it's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility, is because of this reason. I grew up in a drug-filled home. I was drugged everywhere that we could go. We were drugged to church. We were drugged to cleaning days. We were drugged to church work days. We were drugged to other people's churches just because we felt sorry they didn't have nobody coming to their church. I always wondered that as a kid. It's not my fault their church don't support revival. Why are we filling up their pews for them? But dad's like, because we're going to church. But I have a baseball game. Well, you tell the coach ain't play it. It's a Tuesday night. Well, you can go play the first three innings, but we're going to church. We don't even pastor that church, Dad. Doesn't matter. It's God's house. When I was a kid, this is God's honest truth, we pastored in Ridgeville. I played baseball at Parksfield over there in Knightsville near Somerville High School. Quite a little journey. If the game started on Wednesday nights at 7, my parents told our coach, you might as well not even put his name on the roster. He won't be there. That's the truth. God's truth. I was a starter. I pitched. I played shortstop, second base, or center field. I, if I was there, I was in the game. And the coach was like, well... I remember his name, Coach Ed Wiley. He said, well, what if my wife would just pick him up and then we get him back to you? My dad said, I don't think you heard me. He won't be at the game if it starts at 7 o'clock. We go to church. If the game started at 8 o'clock, my dad said, you can put his name on the list, but he won't be there at about 8.20 because we get out at 8 o'clock. His mom will bring him in, but he ain't missing church. He'll just be late getting there. You can put him in as a sub. My parents, I don't, I'm sure they had it back then. My parents didn't know nothing about no travel. Softball, baseball, basketball, football. We didn't travel to nothing except church. I never knew what travel sports was until I started coaching. And all these kids said, oh, I travel and play sports. My parents said, we travel too. We travel to camp meetings. We travel to general assemblies. We travel to other people's camp meetings. We didn't even go to Church of God camp meetings. We went to Church of God of Prophecy camp meetings. We went to seven day, We went to uh, uh, Pentecostal Holiness in Turbyville. I didn't even know where Turbyville existed. I didn't know where Lake City was. But we went to IPC camp meetings because somebody was singing that we knew. We traveled all over the world. Not to play sports. I've been to every church there, probably this side of heaven in South Carolina for something. We traveled side of state, church. Every camp meeting, every prayer conference, PD, camp meeting, you name it, we were there. That's where I traveled to. Didn't hurt me. So what it did do for me is I've never drank a day of my life. I've never been a drunk. I've never tried recreational drugs one time in my life. You say, oh, pastor, you're bragging. No, I'm not bragging. I'm telling you there's something about this thing called getting close to Jesus. He'll take away those desires. I, I have friends. I got, a, I got a, a friend of mine that passed away about 20 years old named Michael Nunnally that played basketball with me. I went to the hospital for three months and when I was in Charleston Southern who overdosed on drugs. I played on the same team with him. Don't tell me. I was in the same locker room with him. The difference is, I knew Jesus. I didn't have that desire. I didn't do drugs. I don't have a hard alcoholic story. I don't have this, if you will, 
big grand testimony of how far God brought me from out of this heinous sins I've done. Now, I'm not saying that it's not wonderful to hear the stories of people who did. Praise the Lord for that. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. But I believe God spared me from some of that too because God was first and everything else took second place. Second place. Nothing else mattered but Jesus. I think it worked. I hated it then. I'm thankful for it now. I despise that I didn't get to play Wednesday night baseball games. But I thank God I'm not on my way to hell over baseball right now either. Hello? And if my parents right now were to die, I'm not looking for the Jimmy Swaggart Bible in my parents' home. I don't know where it's at at, at Millie's Way, 1084 Millie's Way. I don't know where it's at, but somewhere in their house. It's probably in a box because ain't none of them been unpacked yet. But it's in there somewhere. Some tote, zip-tied, duct tape, quilted, somewhere. Probably no bigger. I don't know, see, it may be, it may be bigger than mine, but not much bigger. About this thin, of this Bible, about this part down, this, about this thin, there's a baby blue Bible. I mean, it's ugly color. It's hideous. I don't even know they make colors like that of Bibles. It's awful. It's almost, it's almost, not very baby blue. It's almost the color of Christian shirt. I mean, who, who wants to carry around fluorescent Bibles? But in that Bible, the, the leather is, is, is shredded. It's got tape on it, duct tape. It's taped up. But if I could find it, I don't know where it is in that house. If I could find it, it's going to be King James because that's the only one that's going to get you to heaven back then. But if I could find it, it's tore up, pages are wrinkled, there is tape in there holding the binding together. Super glued with Gorilla Glue to try to keep it from falling apart. It should have been retired in essence probably a long time ago from just everyday use because it's struggling to make it through. Been through the wash a couple times. There are notes, highlighted passages where I can tell you for a fact even when I lived at 140 Bellix Way and I'd visit 1633 Spring Valley Circle probably even to this day at 1084 I just don't go over there much anymore where that Bible probably was in some kind of ugly chair that looked like somebody's grandmama's great grandmama's tablecloth that was multiple patterns with a lamp behind it that somewhere between 4 and 6 o'clock in the morning somebody sat in a chair and talked to Jesus about me God he's going through high school don't let him be like those kids God he's getting married Helping to be the man he's called to be. I don't know all that was said in those wee hours, because I'll be honest with you, I like to sleep, so I wasn't getting up to find out. Between her and Jesus, not me. I figured God could hear her with, with or without me awake. Even to this day, unless you're dying, I'm not getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I'll pray for you at eight thirty with coffee. But that chair would sit. There would be someone sitting in that chair with that fallen apart Bible. Now, I could probably walk into my parents' house right there, and I could probably find 10 or 12 Bibles that are in pristine condition. In fact, in my office right now, I have my, great, my, my grandfather's Bible. Phineas Dake Bible. It's, it's so heavy, it's like lifting weights to pick it up. That's why I don't preach with it. I can't pick it up and carry it. I hadn't went and worked out enough. 
My dad has one of those too. It is not from my grandfather, but his. I'm not looking for my dad's nice, beautiful, Jimmy Swaggart expositor study Bible. I'm looking for Phineas Dake, the one that you have to get a skid steer to pick it up because it's so heavy. Because I remember as a kid all the way back in Ridgeville, all the way to when I served for eight years in Orangeburg, my dad carrying a Bible bigger than the hymnal. I always thought he was going to throw it and hurt somebody. He's got it. Look, he's got it. Let me see it. There we go. Let me finish the sermon with this. I ain't going to mess it up. I mean, this thing's like 25 pounds. And it don't even have notes in it yet. It's heavy. But look at the insides. Where it's been torn. There's, there's highlighted marks. There's folded pages. I mean, look at the binding. Super glue don't fix that. I'm not looking for the expositors. I'm looking for this one. This is the one he's been in. Not that the others aren't important, but these are the ones he prayed over. I got a picture, I believe, somewhere. They probably have it. When I was a kid, probably about seven years old, I'm laying in the floor at 140 Bellocks Way on shag-looking style carpet. My dad's, that he had hair back then somewhat, had glasses. And on that table, on that floor, my dad had laid his Bible... He was studying on the floor, and I was with Coke bottle glasses as like six-year-old, seven-year-old kid. I was wearing some kind of high socks. I mean, I looked like it, my parents didn't dress me in style. I mean, it was rough looking at those pictures. But my dad is studying for a sermon or something. I don't know what he was doing. But in that picture, I don't know even who took it, probably my mom. But he is doing his study. But in that picture, I was probably seven or eight. I had a Bible beside him. And I was saying, hey, Dad, tell me how to make a sermon. And he was walking me through sermon prep. And look at me today. You're going to tell me inheritances don't work? They do. That blue Bible that's somewhere in a Tupperware box at my parents' house, I guarantee you one day when I find it, there'll be so much highlighted notes in there. There'll be so much information in there. I'll probably sit in a chair. And it'll take Brother Marion years for me to digest how many prayers have been prayed over those passages in that Bible? My point in saying this to you is, my dad was my pastor for the majority of my life, but I had other pastors and I loved them to death. But while my dad was my pastor and there were other pastors in my life, the reason I am who I am today is not because of the preacher. It was because of who my dad and my mom were at home that helped me find Jesus. I can't tell you, I can't tell you right now one sermon Bruce Fox ever preached when I was a kid. I'm sure they were great. I can mimic him, what he did when he preached, but I can't tell you one message he preached. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. My dad's been preaching to me all my life, both in church and at home. He's been preaching to me ever since the day I was born. I hate to tell you this, I don't remember one sermon he's preached. I don't. Unless I had the notes in front of me. I couldn't tell you somebody held me a gunpoint and said, right now, tell me one sermon your dad ever preached. I'd be like, Jesus, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I don't remember. But I remember sitting on that floor learning how to make a sermon with him. I remember my mom's old blue leather Bible and hearing her at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning upstairs in both houses, the one in, Ar in Wonk's Corner, one in Orangeburg, and the one in Knightsville and upstairs. You could hear her up there talking to God. I remember that. I can't remember every prayer she prayed, but I can remember she was talking to somebody else in the room. She wasn't by herself up there. I remember that. 
what I'm trying to tell you is there's so much more to give your children and your grandchildren than the things of this world. You've got to give them something more. It's your responsibility to give them more. You say, well, Pastor, I don't do the Bibles. I don't do the prayer. Okay, so be it. But you can give them Jesus. You can give them Jesus. When I talk to you next week about the inheritances you can pass down to them, it starts, though, with you. It's your responsibility, Dad. It's your responsibility, Mom. Husbands, wives, it's your responsibility to get the inheritance first before you give it to the children and the servants and so on and so forth. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask this question today, two questions. Question number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, in the full pardoning of your sin and you want to be saved so that you don't die and spend eternity be separated from Jesus, you'd like to ask Jesus in your heart today, I just want you to slip your hand. Is there anyone today who says, I'm not saved, preacher. I don't, I don't want to, go to go to hell. I, I don't want to die and not be right with God. And second question is this. Is there anybody today that says, Pastor, this message spoke to me today. And I want to be one of those people you described. I want to leave behind something of value to my children and my grandchildren and my family. I want to leave them something to hold on to more than sports, more than my estate, more than my house and cars. I want to leave them something of eternal value. But anybody today say, Pastor, will you pray for me that I can be that man or woman to do that for my children and grandchildren? I see it, 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 I see it. Yes, 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 yes. God bless you. God bless you. Every head, you can look, if you look up at this time before we pray. Now, most of you probably think I hate sports and hate hunting. I don't hate hunting. I just don't like sitting out there and wasting my day away for nothing sometimes. But even in the deer stand, you can tell them Jesus. Even at baseball game on Saturdays or the football game Saturday afternoons you can still in those moments create memories but give them Jesus God always gives us teachable moments maybe a certain play maybe a certain thing maybe just sitting out in nature and seeing the beauty of God's creation God gives us moments to share for people like brother Mary and he probably feels closest to God in the deer stand that's just where he and God connect it's quiet He's out there. He's with nature. It's therapeutic. When he takes Brantley into that stand on the youth days, whether they see the deer or not, whether they shoot the deer or not, Brantley's going to remember going hunting with Pop. But he's also going to remember the countless times my brother Marion probably sitting in that deer stand told him about Jesus too. But hey, buddy. You know, if you're having a bad day at school, you know, you can just pray about it, buddy. You know, God will hear you when you pray. Brantley's going to remember the deer stand, but he's going to remember the life lessons he got in the deer stand about Jesus. You can do the same, but it's your responsibility to teach them about Jesus. So for every person that raised your hand, we're going to ask you, everybody to stand all over the house today. I'm going to pray for you today. Every person that raised your hand, I want you to... I'm going to pray for you, but I, I'm not going to make you embarrass you, but I want you and God in this moment to share a moment. I want you to ask God to help you be that man or woman you've asked Him to be and show you the right ways to do that. I'm going to ask you this morning to pray to God, God, you know my heart. Help me fulfill it according to your word. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, 
There are men and women in this house today that have raised their hands and said, I want to be that man or woman. I want to be the one that, God, you can depend on to stand the test of time. God, you see the men and women that raised their hands today that said that they wanted to be leaders and parents of children, grandchildren that showed Jesus to them today. Father, I pray today that you would allow those that raise their hands to leave this place. God, being able to leave behind an inheritance, a godly inheritance, a good inheritance. That their children and their grandchildren will be able to follow suit and be able to follow the paths and follow the ancient landmarks to lead them to heaven one day. They can follow the old Bibles. They can follow the old devotionals. They can go sit in the old chairs in the upper rooms of their houses. They can go to the places where Jesus met their family in their time of need. God, in the midst of Tupperware turmoil and meat pork mayhem, while we argue over the, if you will, the trite and trivial things of life, help us to realize there's something of more eternal value than the things we leave on this side of heaven. While the things on this side of heaven may be beneficial, the things of heaven are eternal and far outweigh the glories and riches of this life. So today, God, I pray today that there be people to leave this place that make a mission and make it their passion and make it their, their lifelong goal to be men and women of leaving an inheritance of eternal proportions so that when they're gone, their name will have left behind a legacy for their children and grandchildren to follow to find Jesus just like we did today. Father, I pray you would bless us and keep us. You make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts until you come again. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and eternal Redeemer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Before we have the benedictory prayer, remember service tonight at 6 p.m. Also Wednesday night. Also this Saturday is leadership training for those that are a part of that. You should have already received your letters for that. Also young adults, you should have got a text message from me regarding our young adult outing on Saturday night. I'm going to ask Brother Mike King to close us out in prayer. Immediately following his prayer, you can consider yourselves dismissed. Brother Mike.